0: This morning, uh, the Old Testament reading is from Exodus. And this passage also appears in very similar form, again, in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy being literally the repeat, the second telling of the law. In Exodus, it occurs in the opening 17 verses of the 20th chapter... We hear what's at the heart of God's message to Moses for the people who have come out of Egypt. And I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor the stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and mother Here ends this reading of God's Holy Word. The uh, lectionary appointed epistle text for the day is from Paul's letter to the Romans in the 13th chapter, beginning verse 8. And we'll continue through verse 14. And again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Owe no one anything except... Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near, let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Keeping the law was central to the Hebrews' covenantal relationship with their God from the time when the tablets of the commandments were given to Moses right up until the time of the events written of in this morning's New Testament text. As a people, this was a part of their distinct identity, something that separated them from all the other nations. They had, after all, been chosen, not through any merit of their own, to receive these instructions from God, and as they followed, or as they didn't follow them, these shaped the course of Hebrew history being stewards of God's law. The Israelites were also called to be keepers of God's law, and that could be, at various times, a a blessing, and at other times, it could seem a curse. The the instructions that it contained placed curbs on individual liberties, what we in our own day and nation might consider our rights The second paragraph of our Declaration of Independence from Britain declares three of these rights to be inalienable, meaning not capable of being denied or taken away or transferred elsewhere. Further, the authors of that document are bold to claim that such rights are endowed upon us by our Creator. The, the triumvirate, of course, included these rights to life, to liberty, and to happiness in the final draft. But what happens when the fulfilling of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness runs counter to someone else fulfilling their own rights to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness? In the law, God exerted his sovereignty by establishing guidelines for acceptable behavior. And any time that curbs are placed on our freedom, humanity tends to chafe a bit, or in the case of the 13 colonies, we tend to rebel a bit. The documentary that the BBC did um, 13 years ago that was filmed here and at McKamey Park off Saxis Road was entitled An Independent People. And as a people, the Hebrews who came before the immigrants here were no different. And as a people, we who came after the immigrants here probably aren't all that different either. We generally don't like being told what to do. And perhaps, especially, we don't tend to like being told what not to do. We, we like to call the shots. But with the giving of the law, God has said to his people, Look, I made everything and everybody, so I hold executive privilege. And I'm bestowing these rules upon y'all as a gift of my love. You can't earn my love by following them, but you can show appreciation by following them. You can show your love for me by your obedience. Keeping the commands, you will find, is a blessing, and it will also make you a blessing as you set an example for so many others. Fast forward from the days of Moses to the days of Jesus, and the message of God has remained remarkably consistent down through those generations. The religious legal code had undergone significant revision over that period, expanding from the more general To the very specific. Jesus, however, came with a pretty simple message that would reveal God's will in a straightforward, shorthand way for the common folks. At its heart, Jesus reminded them the law is about love, the love of the Father for his children to give them some rules for living their best life now, the faithful response of the people shows their love of the Father for His care and His concern for them. And Jesus reinforces this notion as He sums up the instructions that the Israelites had known since the days of the Exodus to avoid doing wrong either to your neighbor or to your God Well, simply love them in word and in deed. Treat them with love and you will have done everything that the law requires and you will have avoided doing anything that the law prohibits. Now, having a a bit less familiarity with God than neighbor might make him to us a bit more lovable. We know of his great works, of his great justice and mercy, and we also know him through his prophetic revelations and his covenants with the patriarchs. And most fully, we've come to know him in what we see through the eyewitness accounts of Jesus that we have in Scripture and the way those accounts have been mediated to us through his Holy Spirit. Yet, for all that, we probably know our neighbors better After all, they're our neighbors, they're around us. We can see them, we can interact with them in a tangible way. They're the ones who inhabit this planet in bodies like ours, this time and this space that we share together. They're the ones who live nearby and they're the ones who look like us. So it stands to reason that we should be more familiar with them, being exposed to them as we are, often day in and day out, over and over again, knowing them sometimes in ways so well that it may be more of a challenge to love them than it is to love God. My dean and professor of systematic theology at seminary A fellow who had himself served as a pastor for decades before finding his way into academia told his students on more than one occasion that God's call to us was to love all our neighbors, but he insisted, based on his experience having been a pastor, that we didn't necessarily have to like all of our neighbors. His point was that there are some folks that we would rather associate with and there are others that we would rather not associate with. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at here as he segues into the second paragraph of his address. Last week, if you were here, and remember, I made a brief reference to uh, an author and a theologian who was uh, ordained as a, an American Baptist minister, a fellow by the name of Frederick Buechner. And that um, reference from last week got me thinking about some of the themes that he often spoke and wrote about in his 39 published works. So I got my hands on a copy of one of them to refresh my memory again. It's a little book called The Remarkable Ordinary. It's mostly a collection of transcripts that are taken from some of his addresses. And in in one of those, he says, imagine yourself in a big city, in a crowd of people, what it would be like to see all the people in that crowd like Jesus does. And an anonymous crowd with old ones and young ones, fat ones and thin ones, attractive ones and ugly ones. Think what it would be like to love them. If our faith is true, if there is a God, and if God loves, he certainly loves each of these. Try to see them as loved. And then try to see them, these faces, as loved by you. Jesus may well have been able to like them, I don't know for sure because I'm not him, but I know that I can't cozy up to everyone, and perhaps that's part and parcel of the fallen human condition. But I do appreciate my dean preparing his ministers in training for coming to this realization and for the ability to make peace with it. For our part, we're living in a post-law age where we don't have to like everyone, but we do have to love them, even if they don't like being loved by us. When Jesus had fulfilled the requirements of the law and their guardianship had been supplanted by his authority, an authority which does not abolish the law, but reinforces and reinterprets it, And as Jesus does this, he is inaugurating a new covenantal age, one that will be sealed in his body and blood, one in which the people of God are reawakened by the quickening of the Spirit, an age in which the night is far gone, the day is near, and we are loving as we have been loved, living as those who have put on Christ's And in such a time as this, let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on this armor of light in accord with our Savior's call, not returning evil for evil, but responding instead with love. I submit to you that this takes practice, but all of us here have been granted a number of years to work on it. The more often and the more fully that we love others, the less unfamiliar and daunting it will seem. Making it second nature is what Jesus seemed to be able to do from the get-go. For us, we can be forgiven if it takes us a while longer to make no provision for the flesh, to gratify our desires. In other words, to subjugate our will to that of God for his honor and glory that comes with our obedience to his command that we love. Maya Angelou said that in her travels, she would sometimes meet folks who were proud to come up and tell her, I'm a Christian. And when she heard these people, she would sometimes respond, I try very hard to be a Christian. It's very difficult for me to be a Christian. I work at it. A lot of things are working against it in me, though. I have to admit, part of me feels a bit guilty about preaching such a message about love. It is, after all, so second nature, basic elementary in the Christian life that it seems almost not worth mentioning. But as Jesus taught his disciples repeatedly on the basics of living their new lives, it could be that we humans tend to learn best through repetition. So forgive me if this sounds so simplistic. But of course, anyone who's tried loving others knows that it often is anything but easy. Jesus is our model in this regard, as well as being our teacher, freeing, loving, many a slave to sin and evil spirits, forgiving, loving, even those seeking his life and bringing about his death, offering redemption, love, to Peter, who had denied him three times in his hour of trial, absolving the world of its sin in the greatest act of love ever witnessed. The night of ignorance of God's word, of indifference and hate, that is far gone. The day star is ushering in the light of life in love. We are free to love others as we are loved by the God who created us in his image an image we see most clearly in the acts of the Incarnation, which reframed the divine ordinances in the most basic of commands, those of love. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God and Amen.